Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'm Morgan with the Women Can Project, and I'm joined with Emma Payne of Grief Coach. Welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Um, we took a short hiatus for the last couple of weeks, and we're excited to be back in the studio here at BD Local. And I'm especially, especially, especially excited <laughs> to be talking to Emma today. Um, I think she has kind of, um, she's cornered a market, and um, she has um, a really interesting um, role. Um, Emma, can you talk to us about Grief Coach? What is it? Sure. We are a text messaging service. Uh, we deliver personalized text messages to people after a death, um, personalized based on cause of death, relationship to the deceased, your age. So we have a teen series. Um, the messages are sent at least twice a week, all year long, because grief lasts a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, so the messages that we send to a mom whose daughter has died by suicide would be different than the girl whose grandfather has died of cancer and so on, and mm -hmm. they go all year long. Uh, and the cool thing is that every subscription is for up to five people, so the grieving person gets messages, but they can also add in notes um, so that the friends and family that want to help them are getting messages too. So a couple of weeks ago I heard from a woman, uh, Rachel, so she's getting messages to help her um, process her mom's death. And she said, um, you know, I love the messages you're sending. It feels like you really understand what's happening for me, but I really love the messages you're sending my husband because <laughs> oh. it's helping him be more patient and to understand what she's going through. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So text messages for the grieving person, but also for friends and family that want to help and might not be sure how. So I did want to ask the, so the friends receive text messages, mm -hmm. which help them better help care you. for the, mm -hmm. the griever. Um, do, do the, on the subscription, do the friends also receive these supportive text messages if they're in relation to, in relation to the, so every subscription centers around one grieving person. Mm -hmm. They're the center and the mm -hmm. other people are getting messages about how to help them. Okay. Is there all, is there additional support for the people that are within the range of, of grief as well? Or would they have to have their own subscription? Like a family subscription? Mm -hmm. We're working on that. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, okay. not yet. Okay. Um, well, I think that's amazing. But it would be amazing to have that. Um, a, you know, and that, the question is, how big does that get? Because right. Because, of course, of course, every death impacts it's a it's a all the members of a family and yeah. all um, the, the ripples Ripple around effect. it. Um, so, yeah, for now, we're just trying to focus on making sure every grieving person has support from the people that they mm -hmm. want support from, like the husband who's being more patient and understanding wow. their loss. That's the magic, really. Yeah. Everybody wants the people around them to mm -hmm. be patient and understand yeah. a little of what they're going through. Where did, um, how did Grief Coach start? So four years ago, my friend Gordon died. Um, I was very much a part of the end. I was with him when he died. I'm godmother to his son. Um, and he was a very important friend to me because he was the best friend and second cousin of my husband who had died a decade prior. And Gord was the guy who, while lots of other people didn't call and vanished, Gord was the guy who called on anniversary dates and cried with me, and he was a really important part of my healing. Mm -hmm. um, so I was devastated when he got his terminal diagnosis um, and very, very sad when he died. Um, but before he died, he asked me to deliver the eulogy at his funeral. And of course, by the bedside, of course, Gord, anything you want. Right. <laughs> but after he died, I was like, oh my gosh, what have I 
What have I committed to? Now I have to fly across the country, stand in front of 200 people who I didn't necessarily hear from when my husband died, Mm -hmm. uh, people I haven't seen or heard from. Anyway, I promised God I would do it, so I did. Um, And when I sat in my pew, the person to my right said, um, you know, hi, what's your name? I said, Emma. And her face just dropped. She's like, oh, my goodness, are you Barry's widow? I said, yes. She said, oh, well, this is who I am, and that's who this is, and I'm so sorry I didn't reach out, and I felt horrible about it all this time, and I didn't know what to say. My husband had died by suicide, so I think that made it worse in Mm -hmm. terms of people's discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in some ways I think it was the final gift that Gord gave me because otherwise I would have gone the rest of my days assuming that people didn't care or were angry with me or didn't talk to me for one reason or another. That's a heavy burden But instead I spent like 72 hours Mm -hmm. with everyone saying basically the same thing, like, I love you. I'm so sorry. I felt awkward. Then too much time had passed. I didn't know what to say. This is the first time I knew anyone who died. Essentially a hundred people saying that they had wanted to reach out, but they didn't know how. So I got on my plane ride home. And at that point I'd spent 20 something years building online and mobile communities for suicide prevention, voter registration, all sorts of things. So I got on the plane. I thought, this is just crazy. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. I spent 10 years not hearing from people. And 100 people spent 10 years feeling bad about not reaching out. And there must be a super simple, what a loss that is. And there must be an easy way Mm -hmm. to give people the help that they need. So that's That's how I basically sketched out Grief Coach on the plane ride home from Gord's funeral. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the purpose is to provide people in grief with supportive text messages. I don't think um, there would ever be enough therapists. Mm-hmm. And even if there were, not everyone can afford therapy. Not everyone wants therapy. I don't think there will ever be enough support groups. And even if there were, lots of people don't want to sit in a support group. Mm-hmm. Um, but every single person I talk to wants the people around them to support them in their loss. So my, my goal is that no one should ever grieve alone. And I think the only scalable answer to that question is for us to equip friends and family to stay, mm-hmm. to be part of it, to and sit and listen yeah. and, and be there. Yeah. So that's why we send texts, not just to the grieving person, but to the people around them. I think that's the only, that's the only way to make sure no one grieves alone. Why do you think, um, why do you think your friends didn't know how to reach out? Why do you think it, it, it took them so long? I was really lucky, you know. I mean, my sister mo- c- came across the country and moved in with me. I had lots of friends who were amazing. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, every day now, I talk to people that say, um, I, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. We had a woman, so I have a subscriber. She subscribed about six months ago. Um, her baby was stillborn. So mm-hmm. she was devastated. Of course, that her baby had died, Mm -hmm. but she was also preoccupied, is the word I would say, with just how alone she felt. So her husband wouldn't talk to her about it at all and was drinking too much. Her best friend had flown across the country to be with her to help with the baby, and she got on a plane and left and said, I don't know how to be with you when you're like this. So here we have a new mom who now has to go back to work because her maternity leave has 
vanished and become just a bereavement leave, right? And she signed up, purchases a grief coach subscription, and she starts getting messages specific to a stillbirth. Mm -hmm. She adds in her husband so that he's getting messages. She adds in the friend who got on the plane. Mm -hmm. Two days later, we, like, grief coach gets a text from that friend, and she just said, thank you so much for understanding. This is hard for me, too. I don't know what to do. And so now for six months, she's been getting tips, suggestions, reminders, dates mm -hmm. about how to be part of this journey with her best friend. And I, 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 we are getting, well, it's not really an answer to your question, like big picture, I think we're getting in North America, especially more and more and more removed from death and more uncomfortable with it. And we are just crappy. <laughs> yeah. We freeze, like people are good. But we don't know what to do. Like someone will post on Facebook, oh, someone's died. And what? You do a, a you like, like or a on sad that face. thing or yeah. you send a card. Maybe you send a card. Maybe a bunch of flowers. But anyone who's lost anyone will tell you that a room full of flowers is really depressing. <laughs> like, I mean, it's nice. People are thinking of you. But a week later, the flowers die and you compost them. And it's not what you want. What you want is for people to stick around. I was talking to a woman. She said when her husband died, people delivered food to her doorstep for months. Every day she would get home and there was way more food than she could possibly eat. And not once in those months did anyone ring the doorbell and sit and have dinner with her. So her husband so I... died and she's having dinner by herself with way more food than she can eat. Like it yeah. was just, you know, so it's just our discomfort. It's not that we don't want to help. It's just... We don't know how. We don't, we're, we're scared. <clears throat> and I don't think, I have a little pet peeve right now about like the blog posts and stuff that gets circulated. It's like top 10 things not to do when someone dies. Don't do this, don't do that. And all that does is make us feel nervous of saying the wrong if, thing. If we do it. Mm -hmm. And then if you are scared to say the wrong thing, what do you do? You do nothing. And then you have 10 years of not hearing from people. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's reasonable to say... I don't know what to do and please help me. Mm -hmm. No one, no one teaches us what to say and what to do. It's, that's what, um, before this started, Sadie and I were talking about that very topic about how we, it seems that we're so far removed from death, mm -hmm. but it is an, it is a eventual and natural part of life. And, and it just seems like we're doing ourselves a disservice mm -hmm. by distancing ourselves from something that's going to happen. Because when it happens, we're not going to have any of the tools that we need to cope with it. And, yeah. then, and then what happens is you just kind of spin out or you lose it. And, and, then, and then people even connected to you don't know how to help you because they don't know how to handle it either. Yeah, it's, it's a trip. It really is. <laughs> the And it's... Not all cultures are like this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can look at the Irish wake and mm -hmm. at home funerals and, and, you know, there's a wonderful book I just read where um, the author, Caitlin Doherty, goes around the world and looks at different... Have you read it? Well, I read her quote. <clears throat> From Here to Eternity. Mm -hmm. um, so we're particularly bad at it here. Hmm. Um, when Gordon died... I, I, I mean, even the thing of dying in hospitals instead of at home, um, we don't have the buildup, we're not ready, then it's just a death itself, end of life itself is very much segmented here. 
in North America, the idea that you would die in a hospital bed instead of just at home, mm -hmm. the idea that you would then be taken away mm -hmm. by some third party, cremated, you don't even, you're not even part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of, well, some of the really cool stuff that's happening with women, I think, coming into the death and end of life industry is to try and reclaim those experiences more home funerals and washing the body and understanding that you can be with someone after they've died and, and, and um, trying to connect again. Why wouldn't a death be like a birth in terms of a passage and a thing to be part of? Mm -hmm. uh, anyone that's attended a birth, that's pretty scary too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not, not easy. <laughs> um, but then we all know what to say and do afterwards because mm -hmm. it's this joyful thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, while you're talking, I had the thought, I, I don't think that, um, death fits into the American dream <laughs> and maybe right. that's why we're so adamant about removing it from our, right. our presence. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to think about it no. happening. So There's, it's very peaceful though, actually. Like my mom's, you know, people say, oh my goodness, aren't you, isn't it depressing now that you're working in grief all the time? And it isn't. That was actually one of my questions. Um, no, this is like, I've never loved my work this much, and I'm lucky to have often loved my work, but it, people that are actually talking about death and working with people who are dying and have lost someone all the time, every day, are joyful people. They're intentional. They appreciate every day. They wear bright colors. You know, it's pretty amazing. Um, so the what I'm learning is that actually the more time you spend talking about it, thinking about it and engaging with it, the happier you, you will be. <laughs> do you think that because it, do you think it's because it renews an appreciation for life? Yeah. yeah. Every day, hmm. every day. Um, I hear from someone who's lost someone. So then you're give your, my kids get a lot of squeezes. It's <laughs> a good reminder. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was actually one of my questions, being hyper-involved in grief, how do you remain unaffected or yeah. uh, not? I don't know that I'm unaffected. I think, um, like, I, I don't like driving anymore. I didn't used to really think about it. And mm -hmm. now I feel like I'm so nervous of being an accident, like I'm driving more carefully mm -hmm. because, you know, because I just got a new subscriber whose 18-year-old daughter was killed in a car accident and he can't think straight. And so then I'm driving along mm -hmm. more. So I think I'm more just nervous about things like that. Yeah. But in terms of my heart, um, it's never felt more At full. Peace. And every night before I go to bed, I have to check the message queue for the next day and make sure everyone that has signed up is getting what they should. And we mm -hmm. haven't missed anybody. And I feel, um, you know, I feel like I'm in the center of my Venn diagram. Like this is what I meant to do. So it that came. is awesome. So that feels great. That's and awesome. It's um, yeah. But I'm a, <laughs> but I'm becoming a really lousy driver. <laughs> <laughs> Please stay off the road then, <laughs> or a careful driver. I don't know okay. stuff like that. <laughs> well, was, we have Uber. We have Uber yeah, now. right. But you know what? I, what it sounds like is that you're you're driving carefully because you have you have such an appreciation for life and you recognize That's how thing to happen. How fragile yeah. it is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, I think it's a lesson for us all to be more careful on the roads. Right. And um, it's interesting right now. So, you know, we've, it's coronavirus every turn and people petrified about dying about somewhat like it's, it's this, we're having this societal experience where everyone is suddenly petrified 
that they're going to die or that someone that they or at least going very to die. unsettled. Yes. Um, and so we're doing all of these things and I get it, but that's how I live every day. Like I always think that like that. So mm. I, I, all the time. <laughs> it's coronavirus every day. For it's you. Coronavirus every day. Well, just, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I say what I want to say to the people I love. Even though they think it's kind of weird. <laughs> I, I, there's just gonna be pauses between what you say. Cause I, I it just, it feels like it's kind of like sinking in. It's just what you're saying is just like little kernels of truth that I think we can all like take home mm. and go tell someone that we love, that we love them and drive more carefully on the roads <laughs> and wash our hands and don't cough in front of people. Um, so you, you want to talk about when we had spoken earlier, you want to talk about organizations and, and bereavement. And I don't know if it's, if, if it's um, insensitive to say the bereavement industry, how do you, how would you coin what you do? Yeah. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a bereavement industry. Okay. There's a funeral industry. There's all of these things. Okay. Um, how do, how do organizations handle um, bereavement? It's been um, incredible. The most humbling thing about the last, so Grief Coach just went live a year, just over a year ago. So I worked on it for a few years before that, but we've only been live and in the world for a year. So in that year, I've talked to hundreds of bereavement managers that work for different kinds of organizations. And it's the most humbling thing. I mean, this, this, this is people who spend all day, every day, um, supporting people after a death, right? It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So for example, hospices. So hospices in the U.S. are required to provide 13 months of bereavement support. They care for someone through their end of life. The person dies, and then they provide support to the family members left behind. Uh, we're working right now with an iBank in Texas. So they are one of the organizations that do, like, tissue and cornea donations when someone oh, dies. Oh, I don't know what I was. I, I know. Was, well, it's, it's like it's an e-bank, an yeah. iBank, like for the iPhone. Like no, actual eyes. I, eyes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so um, tissue banks, iBanks, organ donation organizations, every state has lots of them. Um, and they're also providing um, usually 18 months of bereavement support to a donor family. So let's say your husband dies, the corneas are donated, and they now provide um, support to you. Um, for a long time. So those bereavement managers are the people charged with, with doing that work for those kinds of organizations. Plus then there's, of course, countless other kinds of organizations that um, encounter people who are grieving, even if they don't have a requirement to provide care. So hospitals, um, funeral homes. Right now we're actually doing work with employers to mm -hmm. look at bereavement benefits in the UK April 6th, I think it is, the UK is going to um, enact legislation, first country in the world, to legislate that employers must provide um, bereavement care, time off, for an employee who loses a child. You would think that would be... It should be built in. Yeah, but it isn't. The average PTO here in the US, if you lose your child, your spouse, is three days. Three days off. <sighs> Um, and the idea that you would, that be your child would die and you could function at work three, three days, days later, later is, is just now lots of employers do more than that, but that's what they're required to do. And that and is the average that people receive. 
Um, so I think also the idea that employers recognize that that is where people spend the most of their time. And if they can support their employee and also the coworkers can be getting tips, suggestions for how to help that mm -hmm. employee come back to work, everybody wins. We need to everybody. be patient with everybody mm -hmm. and build the most um, compassionate space that we can. So it's just as I was leaving to drive here just now, I got a, a note from um, a large healthcare provider in Washington who um, one of the things they do is they provide support groups after a loss and they just said they're canceled because of the coronavirus. And I'm thinking, wow, so now you don't even get the support group that you're looking forward to every week as you try to mm -hmm. process that your mom has died or your child has died or mm -hmm. um, so organizations do lots of different things. Their hospices do summer camps for kids. Um, they do candlelight vigils on Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. Lots of things that organizations do to try to help. Do you see an increase in organizations providing these services? Is this something that we've, they've always done or I think, haven't done? I think what I'm seeing is that the need is escalating and the resources are dwindling. So... Mm. So a hospice can have 3,000, 4,000 deaths a year. So one bereavement coordinator cannot call cannot those people. possibly, <laughs> yeah, manage that. So, so where a grief coach works with a hospice is to say, hey, instead of one phone call at six weeks, one phone call at six months, and one kind of light vigil, we can send messages twice a week for a whole mm -hmm. 13 months to them and to the people that care about them. So just way more you're providing support. so much more support way more yeah exponentially more um i think so resources are dropping organizations are struggling to keep up with demand i talked last week to a um, bereavement manager in illinois he's also a chaplain he said their mandate is to and they're really struggling with an increase in opioid deaths um is in and around chicago um so it's a different type of demographic that he's trying to support, but he's still doing it the way he's always been charged with doing it. So they do a scheduled phone call, like a, a week after, another one at six weeks. They have flyers that they put in the mail. And he said, no one picks up the phone. Hmm. He's like, my job is to call people, but no one picks up. Maybe one in 10 would return my message. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable. It's a stranger calling to ask me, how, you know, I don't know. And then they put flyers in the mail. Does anyone open them? Who knows? Mm -hmm. um, so I, it's, it's, um, organizations have been providing bereavement support, but the need is escalating and the traditional ways that they've done it are, are not, not effective anymore. Effective anymore. I mm -hmm. think that's more the disconnect. It's not that they're doing more or less of it. It's just people, it doesn't work. Hmm. It's not so providing people... text messages is a guaranteed way that this person will receive support. Are you assuming? And that they're getting support from the people right. around them because that that's key. is what people want. Right. I really, really, that's what I really, 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 I mean, I, I believed it before, yeah. but that's what I mostly take away every day. I have, I have not in, in a year, I have not spoken to one single person who didn't want you want to be their surrounded husband, by their your friend, loved ones. their yeah. whoever, to understand what they're going through. Everybody wants that. Well, it's ironic that in, in the midst of death, people would kind of like radiate away 
Mm-hmm. But the one thing you want is for them to to grow close to you, mm-hmm. to draw close and to it's you. It's like you don't have to say anything, even just sit there no, and hold don't. my hand. Just sit there and hold me yeah. right now while I cry. cry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I I looked up bereavement support and um I didn't find a lot of grief support. What I found a lot was information about funerals, information about embalming, um, <laughs> information about where to hold a memorial service, but there was no, and I, I, I searched bereavement support, not funerals, um, not care for a body after death. I, right. You're not, just looking I for I was looking help. for support mm-hmm. and I didn't see anything. So it doesn't, it, it sounds like this is still new, a new idea. It is or it's not optimized online. It's, um, I think, so we actually just did a kind of an interesting uh, experiment in, I think it was December, trying different Google AdWords, like what do people actually search for? And is it the thing that we think that there's, mm-hmm. you know, are they, look, are they getting what they're actually looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started, so when I had my plane ride and I thought, oh, I'm going to create this thing, as soon as my Wi-Fi kicked in when I landed... I was like, okay, I'm going to Google this now. I've just spent a five-hour plane ride designing a business, and now, of course, it already the exists, research. Right. and there's probably 20 of them, right. and went into the app store to see how many grief support apps there were already, and I was blown away that there were none. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, there's app, there's an app for everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, how could there not? Mm-hmm. Uh, now there are a couple, um, but, you know, three years ago, um, there weren't, and it's... And, I mean, one of the things about grief brain is that you can't read. People can't read. They can't concentrate from one line to the next. So mm-hmm. textbooks are not really the thing. Um, oh, my gosh. The like, idea of, like, if you're if you're grief-stricken, if someone throws me a textbook, I can't – I'd throw it right back at them, and I would try to aim for their head. No. That doesn't I, no, sound – I couldn't read for a year after my husband died, like a year. I, could, I finally got to the point that I could maybe do a crossword, but even that would take, you know, a month <laughs> to do Oh, my gosh. So I think – um, yeah, you can Google it. Yes, some stuff will come up, but like white papers or gigantic things are just, the grieving person can't read it. And the friends and family wouldn't be doing that search anyway. Mm-hmm. I actually talked to an author in the UK, um, Julia Samuel is her name. She wrote a book called Grief Works. It's a beautiful book. And she says, who would buy this book? Like the people I really need to reach are the people that cross to the other side of the street when they see the grieving neighbor at the bus stop. Like I need to reach that person, not the point zero zero one person percent of people who would who are interested in this go subject. and buy this mm-hmm. book. I mean, I read the book, mm-hmm. but well, I don't vest, know anyone vest, else. Yeah. But I don't know anyone else who yeah. read the book, even though I refer it um, to people all the time. It's it's getting small bits of information to the people who need it when they need it, um, and no Google search will get you that. Mm-hmm. It's a funny. It is a funny space. Therapy. At first, I thought people would sign up for Grief Coach when someone died, but actually it's often three years later. And Mm. I talked to therapists. They said, well, that makes sense because in the first year, people expect to feel lousy, but they look for a grief therapist the next year or the next year or 10 years later um, when things are not When they can't get back into the swing of things. Right. And that um, a lot of therapists say that they don't even come for grief therapy and support. People don't necessarily think that that's what they need. They just think I'm depressed or I'm stressed or I'm anxious or Mm -hmm. something. Um, Unresolved grief leads to all kinds of other 
all kinds of other problems. So people are not necessarily searching for grief support. They don't know mm-hmm. what it is that they're working through sometimes, I think. On that topic, I did just want to share with everyone um, how, how grief affects your brain because you touched on you can't read when you're mm-hmm. in grief. Mm-hmm. So I did a little Google search, and I found that um, an article that said, grief affects our limbic system, which is the system of nerves and ne- networks in the brain, as well as the prefrontal cortex. It can throw off how we regulate our emotions, our concentration levels, our ability to multitask, make plans, manage impulse control, and it affects our memory function. And all those things out of whack, I, I, it sounds like you just can't function at all. Mm-hmm. So there's no better time for support than when you're experiencing all of these things. And it's a very real thing. I think we, um, we're very quick to put a, um, a football player who's broken his foot into rehab, but are we as quick to put someone who's amidst grief into some sort of support? And the, and I think the reason we, we don't do that is number one, we don't know how to handle it, like you've said. And number two, you can't see it. You can't. You can see mm-hmm. a broken foot. You can't see um, a broken heart. Um, yeah, and we're dismissive of it. We're not comfortable with negative feelings in general, not just grief, right? It's, mm-hmm. oh, cheer up. Or <laughs> they wouldn't want you to be saying, we're not, we don't, uh, we don't have a comfort at just settling into something bad. Just mm-hmm. let it be sad. Just be sad. Someone died. It's just... Oh, it's very much like, got to dust yourself off, keep going. So as your brain is not doing what it normally does, people are also telling you to like, oh, focus on your work or get back to it or something. And and you really actually, it's the opposite. Just, just be, just. What you need to is just just be. Mm -hmm. Okay. We send messages, lots of messages in the first, um, for the year, the messages go twice a week, but in the first month, a lot more frequently. And some of the ones that people that we hear good feedback all the time is the ones that we send to the friends and family and say, hey, if your mom seems really forgetful right now, that's normal. That's okay. And if she's worrying that she's not sleeping or, you know, just normalize that grief brain that you're describing, (laughs) Um, accept that not everything's working the way it used to, but that doesn't mean it never will again. It just means... It's right now. It's coming back. It's just for right now. As people try and push through that, rush through it. Too soon. Um, too soon and you can't. Hmm. Um, so the grief support field, is it, um, I mean, I, again, I couldn't find a lot on it. And I, and I only found um, other people through your website, hmm. grief.coach. Um, is it a primarily female or, or male field? Uh, well, end of life, um, very much male. So there's a sort of, sort of pa- very patriarchal history for the funeral More industry, for example, right? Funeral managers. <clears throat> um, and that it became, as it became a profession. A business. <laughs> it became a, you know, multi-billion dollar a year um, industry. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been very much male dominated. And it'll never go out of business. <laughs> well, in 2016, um, for the first time, cremation overtook burial in the United States. Hmm. And cremation um, costs less uh, than burial. And so it does actually lead to a shift in our funeral industry hmm. f- financially. 
Interesting. And you can imagine it's very expensive to run a funeral home, and a lot of the costs are the same in a small town with five deaths a year as they would be in a city. So, um, and we're running out of land for mm-hmm. funeral for burial, anyway. So, uh, it is actually an industry that's shifting a lot. There's moves to green burial. Um, Katrina Spade here in Washington is doing recompose, which is body recomposition. It's just been legalized in Washington State, first state in the country. Um, so there actually are some pretty big shifts happening in, in death care. Mm-hmm. Um, but bereavement support, as you might imagine, a lot of bereavement managers are women. They're mm-hmm. social workers, um, nurses, people that came to caring in, industries. In naturally nurturing fields. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And so now there's a big upswing in death doulas. Have you heard about that? So there's birth doulas, and now there's death doulas and certifications, and these incredible women um, going through certifications and sitting with people at the end and helping the family understand, just like a birth, okay, this is normal. These are the things that we can expect next. Now's the time that we might want to talk about these things and um, guiding people through the passage at the end. So women are... um, like all the conferences I go to, um, there's a lot of women um, really trying to fundamentally reshape what's what's going on and to remove those, uh, to bring the emotional back to the industry. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, it's an industry, but we can bring emotion and care and feeling mm-hmm. um, to the space in a way that it has been absent. Um, and it's not just selling caskets, right? It's this is a this is a, a life process, and it's one we can care for each other in. And um, yeah, there's some really cool stuff happening actually. At end of life, it's amazing to see. It's ironic, but also very awesome. Um, do you believe that people are catered to differently based on their gender? I just today um, ran an Instagram um, that was specific to male grief. Mm-hmm. So I've been working with a couple of guys in their 30s who lost their wives young. Um, who now write uh, and work extensively with men um, after a loss. And the um, and most of my subscribers are women, but then mm-hmm. they add in men, like the examples, right, the like, examples I gave you. Yeah. So woman by subscription for herself, but then adds in husband. Husband does not want to sit in a support group, but getting a couple text messages a week about how to help his wife, sure, right? It's um, easy. It's easy. It doesn't, exactly, it's not intrusive and it doesn't spell, it doesn't feel like, um, what is it? Like I, men, what I'm seeing is that men have more of a need to feel that they're in control and they're less okay. encouraged mm-hmm. to share their emotions. If your wife dies, I mean, so Jari in California, who I've been working with on the male series, his wife is 36 and dies of leukemia. He feels he failed her somehow. Like he didn't control, he didn't, you know, mm-hmm. like he wants to feel like he was a good husband and that he did well and that he was in control of the situation. But of course he wasn't. So that feeling of, um, yeah, that lack of control, um, maybe not having, whereas girlfriends might be more likely to come and sit and let you cry, the guys are not given as many opportunities to, to let it out. Um, so yeah, I actually think that men get the short end of the stick, um, when it comes to grief support In a lot of cases, they don't have the same opportunities to share. Um, they have more hangups, let's say about asking for help or admitting they need help. 
or trying to stay strong, um, get back to work, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So you're actively working on a, a program for men. We have a whole series grief. for men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what is the series called? It's for male grief. Yeah. That's wonderful. We have a series for, um, so I don't know if series is the right word because lots of messages apply to lots mm-hmm. of situations, mm-hmm. but um, about a month ago we rolled out a series specific to addiction loss, um, opioid overdoses and so on. We have a new one that we're working on right now with a partner in Albuquerque that's specific to violent mm-hmm. loss. So she spent decades working with people who have, whose loved one has been murdered. So she taught me, for example, that you wouldn't say, we're so sorry you lost Stuart. We would say, we're sorry Stuart was taken from you. And just slight adjustments to language for men versus women, for a violent loss versus a natural loss for loss of a child. So we have all nuances mm -hmm, and all kinds of different series for different causes of death and different relationships and different ages. So our teen series, the messages are shorter and have more emojis. <laughs> you know, <laughs> catering, catering to the right, to the right audience. I think if we can get little gems at the right time, right into the hands of the right people, we're miles ahead of where we are now, which mm-hmm. is you Googling it and not finding anything useful, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, or our friend in Chicago calling people and they don't pick the phone up because they're like, who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Or, I'm not, or I'm yeah. not, I'm not able to take a call right now or I, whatever the reason is, they don't pick up the phone. So for me, text messages, I mean, they're only small. Sometimes I feel almost, we have a new subscriber. It's just, uh, it's a, 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 a woman was eight months pregnant and was killed. And so her mom is getting messages. And every time I see what she's getting, I just, you, you know, it's just it. not enough. Like mm-hmm. you want to give her the world of support. And mm-hmm. so just sending text messages feels so, it's just but a it, drop in the bucket. It's not enough, but you're doing something. But I it's mean, something. It, it's something. And that's what I come back to is if everyone gets something twice a week, all year, it's so much better than people descending on you for two weeks and then vanishing, you know, which is generally what happens. You get tons of support for a brief period. And then the next thing you know, there's casseroles on your doorstep and no one's ringing the bell. Hmm. So... But sometimes it seems so, it's, I think of it like the gateway, I don't know, not gateway drug is not the right analogy, <laughs> but it's like text messages twice a week to the husband so that he can help his wife. It's like, it's a small, the, it's a small but for a lot of people, it's enough. It's like, oh, okay, great. I can, that's, that helps me think differently about this. Oh, here's um, a thing I can do. Yeah. Um, and it's just small, but it goes for a long time. And I think that's important. That's a lot. (laughs) Um, I want to, we are kind of closing on our time, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions Um, to the the people. I didn't want to say, I I didn't want to make it specific to women, to the people that are interested in in this career field. um, What, what tips, how would you encourage them to enter into it? What, what types of steps should they take in regards to um, career education? How, how could they get into this field? Into bereavement support? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, um, I mean, people do social work, um, palliative, nursing, all, all of those things. And it's, it's a, I, I, it is humbling. I have never met people like this before. Usually it's someone who had an experience themselves, young of some sort, 
you know, and then they are naturally drawn to that, um, mm -hmm. that work. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's social work. It's, um, social interaction be, work, mm -hmm, learning to be with people when it's hard. So really anybody can do this mm -hmm. anytime. doesn't hard have for to it. be. Yeah. I talked to a guy, um, um, maybe been the same guy in Chicago and he's like, Oh, we call it the hospice heart. <laughs> and it's true. Every time I talk to someone, I'm like, wow, here's another amazing person. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's another amazing person. Uh, it's a, um, um, uh, maybe some people would think it would be a def difficult line of work, but it's certainly rewarding. You certainly know that you made a difference every day. I'm sure. Um, so, <clears throat> um, I, I, I want to share with our, our listeners that, um, we are offering a, a, a discount code for yeah. anyone listening today yeah. um, to who's interested in grief.coach and um, is interested in, in purchasing a subscription. Emma has been generous enough to um, create a coupon code um, for anyone listening. I will post it to our Facebook page. Emma, what was the coupon code? Women can. So if you go to grief.coach. Um, just click the subscribe button and enter the code and you get 20 bucks off. Awesome. I will also <laughs> post that to our, our Facebook page. If you're interested in um, learning more about um, grief.coach, you just simply go to Google and type grief.coach. Um, their Instagram is also grief.coach. I'm now following you all. And it's Thank a you. I awesome. think I'm following you too. <laughs> yep, we're, we're following. We're Instagram friends. Um, Instagram is amazing. It the, is. The amount of grief support that people are providing each other on Instagram is just at the beginning I thought it was I was surprised but now I'm not at all like the stillbirth community for example and just the richness of mm -hmm. interaction about real I mean of course my work is to try and help you be able to have that conversation with your husband and your best friend not have to turn to Instagram for it but yeah. but in the meantime it's a good people, platform it's a really good platform people are getting support. really good support there yeah, yeah. Um, their Twitter is my grief coach and, uh, you can find them on Facebook at my grief coach. Um, and, uh, I did want to, I wanted to leave, I wanted to leave the last moment for you to, to share whatever you wanted to share, but I did want to read this quote that I found through your site and it's by, um, Caitlin Daughtry. Doherty. Yeah. Doherty. Um, <clears throat> and in this article that she wrote, she said in regards to the, um, grief sector. She said, yes, there's a, move, a movement afoot, but we don't want it to be a movement. Death is a part of life. And what we really want is to normalize difficult conversations and bring death and dying, dying out into the day to day. And I thought that was really um, poignant. That yeah, death she's great. I've had the chance to see her speak a few times and read her book. And she's um, definitely leading the charge with a real reimagining of how we manage death. She's a mortician. In LA. Cool. <laughs> oh, um, I and I forgot to add um, the the women can coupon code. It's twenty dollars off a full year subscription of Grief Coach. So, um, yeah, and every subscription's for up to five people. So, a grieving person plus four friends and family. So, for the whole a, year, five people. That's a bargain for emotional bargain. support. <laughs> um, Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything you'd like to to close on? Um, no, I don't know. Thanks for having me. You didn't cry. We I made, didn't cry. I cried it. earlier, so we <laughs> I got that out of the way. Um, I think that there are. I think oh, I just think you touched on so many 
wonderful points. And, and I know that I'm going to go back and listen to this again, um, because there were so many things that you said that I wish that I, I'm going to want to kind of like chew through. Um, and I have so enjoyed, I've so enjoyed this. I really have. Thank I, you. I was, I've enjoyed it too. I was nervous cause I didn't want to talk about grief cause I, I, I am uncomfortable with it myself, but I think if we can c continue to keep having these candid conversations about it, Maybe we'll feel a little less uncomfortable mm -hmm. and a, a little more. Um... Here, yeah, Here, here's what I'll end with. It's our most popular um, tip or piece of advice or every time. Um, it's so simple. And it is when someone dies, the best thing is to just keep using their name. Just talk about them all the time because the person is gone, but their memories are there with you. So even if you feel awkward, even if you feel nervous, just say, oh my gosh, remember when mm -hmm. Blake did this or that? Um, and it just, I think it helps both sides because you just keep the person there. Just talk about them. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Um, hope you're having a, a wonderful weekend. Remember to stay safe, wash your hands, <laughs> um, hug your loved ones, and remember that women can. Thank you.